Welcome back to the Garden Weekly Bible Study on the Book of Hebrews. My name is Joel Fisher. I'm a defender of Christianity and a student of Scripture, and I'm here to help you go deeper in your faith by walking through Scripture with you. It's been a couple of weeks since we finished up Hebrews chapter 1. We also made a little bit of side adventures into 2 Samuel and Psalm 2, and now we're going back into Hebrews chapter 2. So this lesson is entitled, Pay Attention to Jesus, and we're going to go through verses 1 through 4. So, starting with verse 1 here, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So these verses, verses 1 through 4, are kind of an aside. Uh, It the author of Hebrews breaks from his flow of thought in the end of chapter 1 and is going to pick up stage 2 of his argument in verse 5. So he's been arguing that Jesus is greater than angels in chapter 1. And in stage 2 of his argument, he's going to transition into not only how Jesus is the greatest spiritual being um, and equivalent with God the Father, but he's also going to go into how Jesus is truly human as well. But this section is kind of a a little bit of a sidestep for him. He takes what we learned in chapter 1 and then applies it to our lives. Like any good pastor, like any good sermon, we talked earlier about how Hebrews really is kind of written like a sermon. There's theology and then there's application. Well, here we have some application, and that's important. Theology without application is useless. So take a step back. Don't expect heavy theology, although it's certainly in here. And challenge yourself with these words anew. So in verse 1 here, the therefore tells us that what is being said is based upon what came for. The Son is greater than angels, therefore. Why? Well, we have to pay closer attention. Um, so he's. this is the transition to application. Therefore, the theology, therefore, pay closer attention to what we have heard. I also want to key in on this word, drift. It's an important word for this, um, for this section because he is going to tell us the problem of Um, of the application, right? So we have to pay closer attention. Why? So that we don't drift. The word is parereo in the Greek, and it's only used here in the New Testament. It, It means to drift away, as you would expect, or to flow by. So you could get the picture of getting into a boat and just letting the river carry you wherever it will. No effort is given to go into a specific direction. You just drift. So the author of Hebrews, together with the Holy Spirit, is telling us that apathy is how we must absolutely avoid approaching the message of salvation. We don't know the precise circumstances that the recipients of this letter were in, but they were probably being persecuted. Probably Jewish converts to Christianity. We've covered all this in the very first video. And their Jewish brothers and sisters may have been involved in persecuting them. So the author of Hebrews is imploring them not to become apathetic, 
not to become uncaring and not to drift away from the message that was given to them. But how about us? In modern Western society, we don't face hardship and persecution like these Jewish believers did, nor even like our brothers and sisters in the eastern parts of the world. But how apathetically do we approach our faith in our life? Does our comfort make us more apathetic, like persecution was making them apathetic? Do we approach spiritual things with intention and purpose? Do we approach learning the scriptures? Do we approach doing justice and mercy, loving God and neighbor, discipling others and our children with intention? Or do we just drift? Do we just let the river take us where it will, the river of culture, the river of peers, the river of work and our jobs, the river of family life? Just let us drift? Or do we approach it with our hearts and minds in the scriptures and on God and with intention? That takes us into verses 2 in the first part of 3. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Now, the author expands on why we should not allow ourselves to drift from what we've heard. He starts with, since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable. I'm going to highlight that here. And that is strange. It leads to several questions. What is the message? What message is he talking about? That was my first thought. What message was declared by angels that proved to be reliable? And I think that the answer is the Mosaic Law, which probably sounds strange to you, and I don't blame you. In Exodus 19 and 20, which is the narrative about the giving of the law on Sinai from God to Moses, it makes no mention of the angel's involvement. But other parts of scripture and ancient Jewish writings do mention this in passing. So first we have Deuteronomy 33, verse 2. He said, quote, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the ten thousands of holy ones, with flaming fire at his right hand. Ten thousands of holy ones is angels or sons of God, as we've mentioned before. And, of course, the flaming fire in his right hand is probably um, going to sound familiar to those of us who studied Hebrews, let me just get the exact first number here, verse 7, chapter 1, verse 7, when the author says, and about the angel he says, and then quotes, he makes his angels winds and his servants a fiery flame, which comes from Psalm 104, and we covered that in a previous video as well. We also have Acts 7.53, where Stephen, 
the first Christian martyr, says, You who received the law as delivered by angels. So Stephen seems to know that angels were involved in the giving of the law. And then Paul, in Galatians 3.19, writes, Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. So Paul knows about angels being involved in the giving of the law. And there are some additional places. Jubilees 127 is a deuterocanonical book, uh, and it mentions the giving of the law through angels. Acts 7.38, also uh, Stephen mentions it again. So while angels being involved with giving the Mosaic law to Israel isn't mentioned much in scripture, it is mentioned. And this helps to explain why the author of Hebrews has been spending so much time arguing that Jesus is greater than angels. Mosaic law had defined the Jewish people for thousands of years, and angels played an important role in giving that law. Christians claimed that the Mosaic law had been superseded by Jesus, or perhaps a better way of phrasing it would be fulfilled by Jesus. So the author of Hebrews needs to show that the one who gave the law of liberty, and I'm getting that from James 1.25, you can also see the law of Christ in 1 Corinthians 9.21, a greater law. So the one who gave the new law, the law of Christ, the law of liberty, is greater than the ones who gave the Mosaic law. So if angels were in, deeply involved in the giving of the Mosaic law, Jesus must be greater of them to give a greater law. So, as the author of Hebrews has spent the entirety of chapter 1 telling us about how Jesus is greater than angels, therefore the law that he gives must be greater than the law that angels gave. I also want to touch on the second part of this quote. Every transgression and disobedience received a just retribution. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So the first part of the sentence is reminding readers that transgressions and disobedience under the Mosaic Law received a just retribution. Right? So when you have a transgression or disobedience, then you receive a just retribution. So the Mosaic Law is filled with curses and promised punishments for those who failed to live up to their end of the covenant bargain. So if Israel fails to live up to their end, to their uh, requirements of the Sinai covenant, then there are specific curses and punishments that will be given to them. And if you go through the book of Lamentations and um, Jeremiah, and you find out about the destruction of Jerusalem, the exile of Israel, you'll see that those um, that those promised punishments, that those curses were in fact meted out for Israel's failure to live up to their end of the bargain, which isn't just, oh, Israel failed to live up. No, they were sacrificing their own children. They were worshiping Marduk and Baal and um, doing truly terrible things in the worship of them. This wasn't some simple 
um, vengeful God who's, who's just jealous. This was a punishment for Israel truly doing terrible things. Um, so the author of Hebrews is making the argument from the lesser to the greater, right? So if every transgression and disobedience under the Mosaic law is gets a just retribution, which was terrible. It was the destruction of the temple. It was the destruction of Israel as a people um, for a time until they returned from exile. And Jesus's law is greater than the Sinai law. And we get to the last part of it. How will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Jesus's salvation is greater and Israel, these Jewish believers know all about the punishment that was put upon them. So how is the author trying to help them to think about this? He's saying that the Sinai law was lesser because angels are lesser than Jesus and Jesus gave us the new law of Christ. And the transgressions and disobedience received just retribution. So just punishment came for the disobedience of Israel. So if we disobey the law of Christ, if we neglect the great salvation that Jesus has freely offered to all people, the just retribution will be similarly greater in the same way that the law is greater. Uh, the law of Christ is greater than the Sinai law. In the word neglect here, find a color I haven't used, doesn't require active disobedience. It's like the word drift away in verse 1. All that neglect requires is to do nothing. If we're not actively pursuing holiness through the power of the Spirit, we will not escape the death that is our just due, according to Romans 6.23. If we neglect the freely offered gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, then just retribution comes. And not just retribution, not unjust retribution, just retribution. We are all due death for our sins, Romans 6.23. Which brings us to the last part of verse 3 and into verse 4. It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So this verse 3b here, um, the second part of verse 3, is probably my number one reason that I don't think that Paul wrote this letter. Um, Paul saw himself as one of the apostles who received the gospel directly from the Lord. Um, in Galatians 1, he writes, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Right. So that seems like a very different stance than saying it was a, declared by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard uh, the us here being the important part. He is identifying with the Jewish believers on the same status or level of them in terms of hearing from the Lord. He heard from 
those who heard from the Lord. So he heard it secondhand. Um, whereas Paul here says that he did not receive it from any man, nor was he taught it, but he received it directly through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So that did not receive it from any man is in direct contradiction with it was attested to us by those who heard. That seems to be fairly clear that it was not, um, that Paul did not write this. And then, so the second part here, I have a bit of a diagram to explain verse 4. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So in this chart, you can see that we have God the Father. Um, he is the one who sent both Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, the Lord, declared the good news of salvation. And these Christians heard the good news through the apostles who walked with him. God the Father acted as a witness, verifying the ministry of Jesus through empowering Jesus to perform signs and wonders on earth and through raising him from the dead. So the Father, Jesus, the Father verified the message through signs and wonders and miracles. Jesus declared salvation and attested by the, and it was attested by the apostles in verse 3. So after Jesus, God also sent the Spirit to um, verify the message of Jesus and the apostles by sending the Holy Spirit to empower believers according uh, to empower believers with various gifts according to the will of the Father. So the Holy Spirit gave gifts, but they were distributed according to the will of the Father. So here, both. Jesus and the Holy Spirit were um, under the um, under the lordship of God the Father. They both listened and were sent by God the Father. God the Father sent Jesus, who declared salvation, and the Father verified that message of salvation with signs and wonders and miracles. God the Father then sent the Holy Spirit, who gave gifts of the Spirit, to believers, but they were distributed according to the will of the Father. So we have God the Father bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles. So those declared by the Lord and God bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his Father's will. The gifts, of course, enter into areas of controversy and confusion, um, Lots of believers and uh, theologians say one thing about them. Lots of believers and theologians say another. That would have to wait for another dedicated study. But remember the point of this section, right? From verse 1, believers must pay attention. Jesus didn't declare a new covenant by himself. 
he proved that God the Father, the same God that used angels to declare the Old Covenant, sent him to declare the New Covenant by showing that he was empowered to perform miracles by God. The author of Hebrews reminds his readers that gifts were being given to believers through the Holy Spirit to continue to verify the message of salvation. The author of Hebrews is telling these believers, probably Jews tempted to turn back to Judaism and the Old Covenant, that they would be making a huge mistake by turning away or letting themselves drift or neglecting salvation of Jesus. They need to remind themselves of what they have seen and heard. They need to turn their eyes upon Jesus and the salvation he declared once more. There is no turning back. There is nothing to turn back to. The Mosaic Covenant declared at Sinai is gone. And the new covenant brought through Jesus' blood has come. The Garden Weekly is a weekly newsletter and ministry that helps you find Christian videos, podcasts, and articles to deepen your understanding of Scripture, God, and the world around us. And if you'd like to subscribe to that newsletter, you can go to thegardenweekly.com. The link will be in the description. And if you enjoyed this video, hit the thumbs up, subscribe. There's also a podcast version if you'd like to check that out in the description. Thank you so much for being here, and I will see you next time. Bye.